This episode is brought to you by Arden Labs Education. Sign up today to learn advanced concepts in Go, Docker, Kubernetes, Terraform, and more. Visit ardenlabs.com forward slash education for more information. Welcome to the Arden Labs podcast. Our special guest today is Jesus Espino. Jesus, man, thank you for hanging out with us today. Thank you for inviting me. Really happy to be here. I saw that you are a speaker for the GoForCon Athens, which is happening in February of 2024. And I thought, man, now, now is the time to talk to Jesus. What, what's your talk going to be about at, uh, in uh, GoForCon Athens? Okay, this, um, this talk is kind of uh, a summary of what I consider my aha moments, uh, exploring the source code of Go, because I've, I've been doing some talks about uh, the runtime and the and the compiler, and during that process, I I just realized certain things while while I was there. Something like okay, things sometimes small things like the internals of slices and how it works because every time you see up and there, it's like why is this immutable? But at the same time, how it is efficient and all that stuff that cross your mind, but you don't understand when you start exploring the code, oh, this is very clever. And for me, there were some aha moments and I want to share them. And probably for most of the people, uh, some aha moments are going to be able to, ah, that's silly. And some of them are going to be like, oh, whoa, that, that's interesting. So that's my expectation. Let's see how it goes. I teach now well, let's say now over the last maybe five or six years i've taught to to kind of stay away from the mechanics or the implementation of things and really learn the semantics or the behavior because you're looking at the implementation of something that could very much change in six months as the go team continues to release on a six-month cycle right so all this information that you've spent hours learning goes away almost instantly and they decide to rewrite the scheduler, garbage collection, slices, which they changed, right? They changed the growth algorithm on the slices. So one, I'm curious what made you decide one day, I want to dig into the mechanics of the runtime. And two, do you have any sort of fear that everything you've just learned now at some level goes away because they've just changed everything? It's it's partially true that things can go away, but it's not. I'm 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 learning the how a real compiler in the real world production ready is working under the hood. That's not something that is going to go away from my head after they change it. I already have that uh, insights about how most um, how many compilers works. Things like uh, uh, SSA. Uh, it's something that is not strictly something from uh, from Go. It's uh, there's some implementation details about Go, but it's not Go specific or AST or things like that. All the process of the compiler is kind of relatively generic to other compilers, so that knowledge is not going to go anywhere. <laughs> so, what about the runtime, though? I, I would agree that the compiler is a fairly stable. Yeah, I mean they might. In they don't want to optimize, right, heavy because of performance. So learning SSA and AST, I agree, that's stable. But on the runtime side, I mean, that is changing. It's changing, but it's it's 
kind of the same. I understand that knowing, for example, specifics about slices implementations and all that stuff. What I learned from there is is how the algorithm work, not how uh, how Go implement this specific algorithm. You have that knowledge for free, but what I was trying to figure out is uh, how is a production ready environment uh, working? And for example, the the garbage collector. If you learn about the garbage collector in Go, you understand the, the Go garbage collector, but you understand you have to understand concepts like it stop the world or Magna sweep and what is what is that and. With that information, you can transplant that information into other languages and say, oh, okay, this is a mark and sweep um, garbage collector. This is a, con a reference counting garbage collector. This is whatever, this is generational or not. All that information, it's something that I think is valuable and you learn through the process of investigating the real project. The, the reason why I investigated Go is because it's a tool that I use every day. So I really want to know more. I really want to know deeper, uh, but not necessarily because I want to uh, get that knowledge and, and that knowledge stay there forever. So it's more an excuse to, to learn from, from very talented engineers. That's a totally fair answer. I love it. I love it. Okay. So, also, as we're here here in the beginning, um, give everybody the two-minute—I call it the two-minute spiel or elevator pitch—kind of on what you're doing today. It's kind of funny because people um, see me doing this uh, low-level stuff or um, system engineer uh, investigations in the source code and all that stuff. And the reality is, I'm a web developer. I'm a staff engineer at Marmos. Uh, that is a web-based application. It's basic. Well, it's a, a communication platform, a communication platform similar to Slack. And what I do there is full stack development. I do a lot of web, a lot of API, a lot of Go, but more in the API side, database access, uh, all that stuff. Not so much in systems. Uh, more in the in the API side. So that's what I do. Nice, nice. How long you been there? I've been here for six years. Ah, that's pretty good. All right, I don't want, don't go any any deeper because uh, you know this is a podcast about you, and I want to kind of get uh, the story on how you how you've been there now for six years. I want to get there. Uh, but the very first uh, two things: one, <clears throat> um, where did you grow up in terms of um, going to school? Did you grow up where where'd you grow? I don't even want to guess, man. I don't want to guess. I I grow up I grow up in Canary Islands. So it's a small set of in the islands. Canary right? Islands. So, yeah. It's like ter exactly. ter um, Tenerife. Tenerife. And, yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah. Well, not in my case, I'm from Lanzarote. That is uh, another island, but yeah, it is the same same set of islands. Oh God, on an island, man. Like I mean, I grew up on Long Island, but it's connected to the rest of the United States. Okay, <laughs> like that's a real island. There's no there's no fooling around there. Yeah, no, it's it's cool. Actually, when I I was a kid, I didn't realize how lucky I was uh, about that, and I started realizing that after living uh, living uh, Lanzarote and and living in in Madrid for years, and it's a completely different thing. So yeah, but like, what's the population? I think it's like one hundred eighty or something like that. One hundred eighty thousand. Oh, so that's not like too small 
No, not, no, no. I thought you were going to say like, like 20, 30,000 people. I was like, whoa. <laughs> no, no, no. No, 180,000 is pretty good. We have islands in, in Canary Island that is like 2,000 people. So that's, that's it's also possible, but it's not the case of Lanzarote. I'm on, um, I'm on Google right now looking at, because I've been to Tenerife, and I mean, that's a pretty small island. Yeah, it's, it's, mine is, is even smaller. <laughs> yeah. You don't feel sort of trapped when you're on an island that small where you can drive around the whole thing in like an hour? Yeah, no, not really, because you are used to that. Uh, it's, it's like you don't think about it. Uh, if you live in, in, for example, in mainland in Spain and you go to Canary Island, I know that some people feel like, okay, I, I don't feel comfortable living here because I, <laughs> I can go anywhere if I pick the car. And when you live in mainland, you, you can go to, you're going to go into Malaga to uh, Barcelona to wherever and just by picking the car. So it's kind of, for some people I know it's, it's a struggle, but I grew up there. So for me, it's business as usual. Okay, so I'm on Wikipedia just because I, I, I needed to kind of <laughs> see this. And Wikipedia is telling me that the population says it says 62 population is basically 63,000 people. 62,000? It's like half of what you were. Now, I, I, who knows? It is Wikipedia. Yeah, I don't know. I, but, I don't um, really know. Maybe, maybe it's true. I, it's, wow. sounds like a, a re, sounds very low to me and uh, to be honest there's a lot of floating population the people that comes for um uh, for tourism and all that stuff so i don't know i don't know if i mess up the numbers oh, or all that stuff because i have not been there for ages <laughs> so. so you must be a scuba diver and all that, right? Because the water sports there have to be. I, I was you know? more uh, beach volley and all that stuff. Beach volley. Okay, that's fair. All right, and you, you graduate. So in the United States, when you turn around seventeen, eighteen, that's when you you graduate what we call high school, and then you're kind of thinking about college at that point. Um, how old were you when you finished all of your? I'm going to just call it grade school. Right, you were like 17, 18, 19. More or less. Right, the the, the regular time is 18, but I spent one extra year. I, I'm not a good student, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm able to, I, I'm able to learn everything, but I'm not very good following yeah. the, the rules of yeah. the regular. School. And you finished, so we'll just call that grade school. What, what year was it when you finished grade school? Around 2000. 2000. Okay. And you did that there in the Canary Islands there? You finished your yes. There? Yes. Okay. So I always like talking about, well, here, I have to ask you this question actually first before I even go even deeper. I forgot to ask you this. Uh, I, I clear your head. Clear your head. Very first memory or pops in your head when you started working on a computer or, or that first time you saw the computer, played on the computer. What's that very first memory that pops in your head? To be fair, the first memory is using the uh, spectrum from my big brother. So that's that's the first uh, memory. Probably I was like 10 or something like that, but I didn't know what I was doing at all. So <laughs> then... Was that in the home? Uh, yes, in the home. Okay. And after that... I have some friends that have computers and all that stuff. And I um, talk with my parents and say, hey, I want to have a computer. And, and my father asked me, do you know what a megabyte or a kilobyte is? 
And I said, <laughs> yes, of course, it's blah, 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 blah. And he was like, okay, okay. Looks like you are really interested in this and and I buying me one. So how for okay, two things there. How old roughly how old were you when all that happened? And then what was your father doing that he knew all about computer stuff too? No, he, he didn't know much about computer. He was he was working in a bank, um, but he he was using computers in the bank and all that stuff, but wasn't a heavy user of computers actually. Um, and I was around, I will say 14 or something like that. Yeah, you were just starting the last four years essentially of, of school there. He got you this computer. What did you do on this thing? You just played games, right? Um, just play, you know, be honest, you just played, you didn't do your homework, you just played games. <laughs> Not really. The, the 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 truth is more interesting. I um, I had a friend. Well, I have a friend that that is uh, introduced me to Linux, and I one of the first thing that I did in this computer. Well, so I'm playing and all that stuff. But uh, soon enough, I install uh, Red Hat Linux actually, and I started using it, and and I was basically uh, I was uh, that was what traps me there was um, for me learning about open source and, and all these Linux system administration, using the keyboard for everything, all that stuff was, was um, what keeps me in, in computers. Yeah, but how, uh, how did you gain access to this software? Because we're talking pre 2000. So internet is kind of new. Did you have dial up internet at home? Yes. Uh, but I, took a CD-ROM from, I think I bought uh, a Red Hat uh, distribution. Wasn't that early, I think it was around uh, 1997 or something like that, or around that date, uh, around that year. And yeah, I, I get one Red Hat Linux in, in CD-ROM and I install it and looks like everything was, um, I found super interesting everything there, all the open source concept behind all the the way of you need to understand a lot of things to be able to do anything. I was using root user for more than a year and breaking everything uh, every every week or something like that. So it was, was a very, very, very interesting experience. And, and well, that's when you learn, when you break stuff. Oh, and yeah. It stops working. And then, then you panic. First you panic. <laughs> and then yes. you're like, okay, I got to fix this before anybody finds out. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But was was really, really exciting times. So a few things here. You, you're getting this computer right as you're starting. I'm just going to call it high school for you. So just as you're starting the, the last four years of high school, you're playing with Linux, which is super interesting. Um, there, but what what other things are you interested in during those years? You said already that you were doing a lot of beach beach volleyball. Yeah, basically, uh, that was my some some sports like uh, beach volley or regular volley. Um, uh, also, uh, spending time with friends and all that stuff. But uh, one of the things that I I was doing a lot of was chatting through IRC and. The other thing that was aside was learning PHP and using PHP to build some small webs and all that stuff. So I start programming there as an as, uh, as an aside thing that I was uh, 
inclined to learn. Probably all these things that I was learning outside um, uh, high school was uh, one of the reasons to not get uh, to the co to college in the regular time. So, so you were publishing websites where you're on like MySpace too, or anything like that. And how were you publishing those websites? Oh yeah, I was publishing some of them. Well, I was kind of small things from, for example, the uh, IRC group uh, that we had in Lanzarote. Uh, we published a, a web page and we use GeoCities. <laughs> Do you remember GeoCities, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, nothing wrong with that. <laughs> yeah, it was 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 what was what was there at a, at that time. So, as you're about to graduate, you know, grade school now. Is your thoughts, okay, I'm going to go to, is university like big priority on your list? That's what you wanted to do next? Uh, yes. Was, wasn't a priority for me? Was a priority for my parents? So it was like, okay, you have to go to college. Um, okay, uh, I'll go to college. So I applied for, for universities in in Canary Islands and in Madrid. I get accepted in Madrid, but the the funny thing is I didn't apply for computer science. I applied for electronics because uh, back then I was young enough to know everything. So, because I already know everything about Linux, about computers, all that stuff was already done. So I get into electronics because it was more low level. Didn't went well. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so you got to move. So you got to move. So you, you moved to Madrid, which is which is awesome, right? Um, you're you're off the island finally. You escaped the island. You're 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 on the mainland now, all by yourself. Um, talk to me about that first year because you're, it sounds like you're you're going to go after a double E degree. You're going to get an electronics degree. Yeah, um, I, I, yeah. It's always, yeah, yeah, right. But it's a whole new experience. You're 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 not living with mom and dad anymore. You're on your own. You got to go to school. Um, did you have to get a job too, or you, you were kind of covered? Not, not really. No, um, I didn't have to, <laughs> but I did it. So, yeah, the first year I I didn't went to class. Uh, basically, I, I was just I only went to um, exams uh, because that's possible in Spain. There's no pro well, I think now it's not possible, but back then was perfectly normal. If you go to the exams and you pass the exams. They are good. There's no problem with that. No attendance required. Yeah, exactly. So I was uh, I I was staying in a, a student residence in Madrid, but the university was like an hour uh, from my residence. So I didn't. What? I, I once. Yeah, yeah. Not my decision, but anyway, I went like sometimes to the university, but in reality, I, I end up not going almost ever. Also, I start working uh, because somebody uh, sent me that they need a database administrator with knowledge of MySQL and all that stuff. And I said, okay, sounds sounds interesting. And, and I start working. Uh, so the first year was a disaster. I only, um, I only uh, passed the compute, the, the programming class. A disaster for your academics, but you're making oh, money. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. Yeah, I make some money. Uh, probably, probably it wasn't that much anyway. But well, was again experience so, also. So what happens after the first year, and you go, you get home, and you're like, 
let me see your grades, son. And you're like, no, no, you don't want to see my grades. <laughs> Actually, uh, in my university, if you don't pass at least uh, two, uh, two subjects uh, during, the, during the year, you get kicked out of the, of the... Did you not pass? No, I, if you on, if you pass only one, for example, you get kicked out of the of the of that uh, degree. So, but you can change to another degree. So, I changed to computer science and I started studying studying computer science. And then that was just easier for you because you have a knack for that. But you had to start going to class. You had to start at some point going to class. I see. So not not really, not really. <laughs> Actually, I moved to I moved to the city where the. Uh, where the university was, that was easier for me to attend the university. Uh, but there was another problem then. There's a, there was the Linux user group of the university. I started spending more time in the, in the office of the Linux user group than in the class um, and learning a lot. So I, I, I don't regret anything of that, but it's something that gets me very slow in the process of taking my degree. It took me like seven years to finish all the all the subjects. Uh, they let you. They let you be on campus for seven years as you finished. Yeah, there's no problem. No big deal. Is no that, big deal. But it took you that long because you started taking less classes every semester, or because you had to retake classes. No, I have to retake. <laughs> I have to retake classes. So that's that's okay. <laughs> I guess it, it, as I said, is is the problem was. For example, one time I was studying uh, something. I don't know what, what it was, but... Like something. your liberal art classes, not the computer science ones. It was like the philosophy classes, right? That was killing you? No, 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 not really. Not really. It's, it's, it's the, the problem was I was the most productive person whenever, um, whenever were the exams time frame. If I was in exams time frame, I will be learning a lot, a lot, a lot of other stuff. <laughs> that, that was the problem. <laughs> I have a, a friend that was uh, had a, a Haskell classes, uh, Haskell subject in, in, the, in his university. And I had another stuff that I don't remember what it was. And I was learning Haskell and he was learning the other thing. And both have the opposite exams. So it's like, okay, you are learning that because you have to, you, you are um, basically uh, procrastinating what you should be doing because you are learning all this stuff. I feel like you didn't, I, I, I get the sense that you were going to learn whatever you were passionate about at the time. And there weren't the consequences of not passing wasn't that high. Whatever, I'll just take it again. So there wasn't any real consequence to not behaving the way you were behaving. And you still got your degree done in seven years. And your parents weren't on your back, apparently, about it. I guess you were on your own at that point. Yeah, most of the time I, I was on my own or at least covering a big percentage of my expenses through um, uh, internships or later through working directly. So this wasn't a, it wasn't a, um, a big burden for my, for my parents. And actually my parents were very, uh, very understanding about how I do the things. And the reality is I, I, I wasn't doing a lot of stuff. I was learning a lot of stuff. The problem was I 
wasn't learning. Uh, I wasn't learning the the stuff that the university was asking me to learn. But well, I mean, you weren't, you weren't getting in trouble. It wasn't because you just wanted to party more than you. No, exactly. To, to go. Oh, you were I'm, I'm, you were yeah. being productive, just not where you needed to be productive at the time. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and but you're also you're also working at that time. Yeah, but but because I want to work on, uh, on stuff that was interesting for me back then. So system administration, things like that was like, oh, I can do some system administration and get paid for it and learn more from it. So was 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 interesting. So then, you know, by the time you're in year four, five, six, seven, you still work in a part time job or, or that turns into more of a full time? More in a full time because, well, I started like working four hours and then six hours and finally full time. Um, because I, at the beginning, I didn't want to work so many hours and I have to finish some subjects and all that stuff. So I didn't want to work that much, but at the end it was like, okay, I have like three subjects that I have to go to the exams. I'm not going to go to class anyway, uh, because I'm going to just get the book, read the book and, and it's going to be more efficient for me and, and did work. So. So your but your 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 credits were free, right? Like that's all free. You weren't paying out of pocket for those credits. It's it's not free, but it's not. Uh, it's it's like um, it's was cheap. Let's say cheap for for a United States education. It was like free, but it's not free. Maybe it's like credits can be like three thousand per year or maybe four thousand per year, but not more than that. So it's like well, here even in the states, if you go to you go to a community college here in the States, your credits right now are about $110 per credit. credit. If and you yeah. go to the next tier university, you're probably at like 220 And then forget about the all the schools <laughs> yeah. that you know, right? Right. I'm talking like the UCF, University of Central Florida would be that next tier school. And you're paying like, but you're still paying $600 for a class at that mid-tier, right? You're paying $300 for a class at the community college level. $600 for a class, let's say at the next level, which, which is where all my kids went, because I mean, you could get a loan for $2,500 a semester and it covers your credits. Next level, I mean, that's insane. If you're paying the same price for a class, which is what you're kind of telling me, you're paying like $300 for a class, that adds up, dude. I mean, you're, you're taking classes twice and stuff. So there was some financial consequence there. Yes, but it wasn't that high the financial consequence and and I don't know I, I'm messing the numbers for sure maybe it was less than that and was um, was less than that it's uh, the university in Spain is relatively cheap not everybody can afford it but it, a regular family with a decent salary can can send the uh, the kids to to college and it should it should be fine so that's not it's it's not super expensive, but yeah, have some implications, have some extra burden about uh, having to pay multiple times the credits and all that stuff. It's it was it worth it. It was um, okay for me because I was working, I was getting money, getting more money than the one that I'm going to spend on that. So all right, so you finally get your degree. I'm gonna guess around 2007. Um. Not exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, to me, 
well, well, you gra you graduate, you started university in two thousand, right? Yeah, yes. Let me let me explain. Okay. I I finished my <laughs> subjects by around two thousand seven, two thousand eight, something like that. My subjects, but I have to prepare the final project. The final project is something that you have to 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 do to get the degree. And it's not something that you have to prepare, and it's kind of you have to find somebody in the university to um, lead you in the process, all that stuff, uh, um, professor in the university to lead you, and all that stuff. Basically, it took me seven years to just work on that and find the time to work on that. So it's it's it took me fourteen years to take my degree. All right, time out. Time out for a second. All right, wait, wait, slow down, slow, slow it down. Okay, you're telling me that you did, you had to do all this classwork, even, I mean, let's just say you even got it done in four years. That didn't give you a degree. You had some crazy final project, some programming project, I imagine, that you had to submit that you couldn't start till after. Yes, you, you to get your degree, you need to, you need to get uh, uh, your final project done the final project can be anything uh, related to the to the field it's not necessarily a programming project can be an investigation project can be can be whatever you think is is interesting and is related to the to the uh, degree and your uh, tutor or your uh, the professor that is going to lead you it's okay with that so and, but normally this is like a two-month project, a three-month project? Yeah, if, if you get full time on it, it can be like three months, uh, three to six months, uh, something like that. It's not something like crazy complex that takes you seven years. Like in my case, <laughs> actually, I don't spend seven years building this project. I spend like three months or something like that uh, building the, the project. Why did and... it take you seven years? I would have been losing my mind. I mean, you could have had, I, I, this is mind blowing to me. Yeah, I, I didn't need the degree to work, to be honest. Uh, nobody has asked me for the degree since I uh, have it because there's no, uh, I, I already have the knowledge. I already have more knowledge than there is required for the, for the degree. So I didn't know the degree to, to work where, wherever I want to work. But it's an accomplishment, man. It's an accomplishment to have that piece of paper. I mean, you worked hard for it. Yeah, I ended up doing that, uh, especially because my mother. So my mother really wanted that I have the degree. So I finished that. I ended up finish that, uh, finishing that because my mother. But I never used the degree. I never. No, dude. I, I would have moved in. I would have moved in with you. I would have said, son. Come on, three months. We're getting this done. Dale, dale, done, dale, Jesus. <laughs> yes, yes, I, I totally understand that. As a father, I totally understand that. I hundred percent agree with that. But as a as an independent person, I have my reasons. So <laughs> that's wild. You got to have such patience. As a, my two boys pushed me on the edge of things. But my girls have been super easy, okay? The boys have been incredibly difficult. The level of patience I, I don't have. So, man, you're just like my boys, Hayes. Just 
get to it when I get to it. <laughs> Probably I, I I will I will be drive nuts if my kids does that to me. Oh but... no no the universe is going to get you back. Don't worry, it's going yeah, to happen. I know. <laughs> I know. Yeah. So you finish the seven years. You finish the classes. Now you can really just go full time working, which I think you already were. What is this job that you're working at this point? Okay, that was like around 2000... 2008. 2008, yes. I think I was working in a very small company that was working, was uh, doing some PHP for um, invoicing system because we started to introduce in Spain the concept of electronic billing. And um, I was doing a, a system for uh, generating the bills, uh, signing with a hardware signing machine, all that stuff, all that um, things that were um, necessary for that. And that was my work there. It wasn't super amazing. It was PHP that is what I was doing back then. Um, but you had been in that company for a long time, right? I mean... I I spent like two years in that company, and then I went to to well one of my most amazing experience. I'm I'm very lucky uh, to be to be honest. From there, I went to um, a small um, department in a big uh, agency, and the more specifically the open source department. That was what I want to do, open source. And the open source department, like three months after I arrived to the company, it decided to just left the company altogether and spin a, uh, create a new, a new company. The idea was to create a subsidiary of the agency, but the agency pushed too hard. When you say agency, is this like a big consulting firm agency? Yeah, a big consultancy firm. Yeah, exactly. A big consultancy firm. And and we were there. And the, the idea was to create a new small company, a subsidiary of that company, but the 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 big company pushed too hard in the in in things like I don't want you to get to give you a, a percentage or a reasonable percentage of that company or that subsidiary. So we end up signing our resignation, the whole block of people, the whole department signed that resignation and we left and we built our own company. So that's what we do. Okay, time out, time out, time out, time <laughs> out, time out. You're not even there that long. But so you're working at some consultancy. They have an open source group. What was the business model for that group? How was how that group generating revenue? Okay, that, that group was building um, projects for normally for startups, uh, but not necessarily projects from conception to uh, to delivery, and um, using open source tools. That was the idea of open source behind that. So we weren't using anything that was private. We weren't using Oracle or Microsoft, whatever. Or everything has to be open source in the technology that we use. For example, Postgres, MySQL, we were using Python and Django. The only tech that you could use to solve these problems was either you built it yourself or it was open source. But the right licensing, I'm imagining it was either what, like Apache or 
maybe MIT licensing? Yeah, well, anything doesn't matter the the specific license depending on on what you are building. If you are using a tool like uh, Beam, doesn't matter if it's Meet, GPL, or whatever, because you are not delivering that. So, we we of course we know about the licensing problem, but uh, that wasn't the 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 idea. The idea is using open source to execute the projects. The project itself were a closed source because we're for enterprises. We try to free as much as possible of our work in that project, but wasn't necessary wasn't mandatory for for the for the company. So it's not necessary. And then how many of you, 20 of you decide that you're all going to leave at the same time and start a new consultancy, but you can't take any of the existing clients. So I mean yeah, we're 15 of us, and one of the customers, uh, the clients that we were working with, was uh, very uh, w- was very excited with the team because the team is is it's still there. It's a very talented team, and um, and was super excited. And he said, "You know what? Um, I'm going to put money on that. If you create a new company, I will put money on that company." So, so he. Oh, so you had your first client. Yeah, actually, right. we have our but, first client. So, yeah, but there's like solicitation agreements. Like, if I'm the other company, I'm like, you can't, you can't work for these people. They're my client. How do you get around that? I, I, I don't, I don't know. Exactly <laughs> I don't know. I just worked work. and I got paid. <laughs> but yeah, exactly. But uh, the the reality is, um, it, it went really well. And actually, we left the company. We left the company in 2000. In 2010, 2011, or something like that, that was the the worst time of the crisis. So, it was like, okay, let's let's do it in this time, and and we and it went well. It been it went very well, and, and yeah, was was um I was doing Python a lot of Python back then, uh, and yeah, yeah, that's uh, yeah, yeah. So so you. You're, you're at that point. You're shifting your stack from PHP. You're using Python. You're still building backend services for that kind of stuff. Then integrating to open source projects like, like you said, Spark or something else. We were we were doing uh, projects from scratch and mainly based on Django and, and Postgres and things like that. And depending on the project, we can require certain things like. Um, Rabbit and Q for uh, for passing messages or things like that, but the reality was uh, there was like complex, big web-based project. That is what I was uh, doing, and based uh, mainly on Django. Um, af- sometime after we start including things like Angular or uh, yeah, things like Angular JS and things like that for the front end. Are you self-hosting these solutions or are you using cloud at that point? We were using a third-party provider for uh, hosting it, but it's, it, wasn't, um, it wasn't our responsibility to host that. We, were, uh, we went from conceptualization to delivery. That's a very interesting idea because for a lot of companies, what is interesting is the maintenance of the projects. And that is exactly what we try to avoid at all costs. So we, our policy was we build the project, we deliver the project, and we uh, be with you during some month 
until we transfer the project to your internal team or a, a, another team. But we don't want to, ma to maintain the project because we want to do the exciting things. We want to work with new technologies. We want to do cool stuff. And if you have to maintain for seven years a project, probably you are not using the, the, uh, the most shiny things. So uh, that was... But I'm sure you had to be on call a little bit to oh, yeah. especially help in the beginning when things are failing and yeah yeah exactly the idea the idea is we, we well we were very conscious that we want to transfer the project since the beginning so we know that we have to pay that price eventually so we try to keep paying the price over the project to not end up with a project that is not transferable because it's a mess so we try to to make the project easy to understand, easy to maintain, uh, relatively bulletproof, because we are going to pay the price uh, whenever we try to transfer that anyway. So our projects have to be transferable. If their teams can't maintain it, they're not going to hire you again for the next oh, one. Oh, no. Not, I mean, not only that. It, if they can maintain it, they are going to say, hey, I don't want to touch that. So <laughs> you, you can't pay me for maintaining that. So that that was the idea. Or or you can. Well, what's the big? I want to talk about that because I I think what we've lost today is this idea of wrangling complexity. I focus all of my classes on this. How do we wrangle for the problem you have in front of you and the solution you're going to build? How do you minimize and wrangle the complexity so somebody else can take it over, right? So I'm kind of curious if you can remember some of the strategies that you that you sort of used to minimize and, and maybe some of the design philosophies that, that you use to be able to do that. Because knowing that upfront, you could architect and design for it. But I think too many developers don't think about that upfront. Yeah, I, I'm, I don't have a good answer for that. I will say mainly is, is not build cathedrals. Uh, that I know that at certain point on everybody's career, you end up at this point that you are able to build cathedrals, so you build cathedrals because you can. So it's that idea of, hey, I can get this structure and all these patterns and all these uh, things and solve this super generic problem that I don't have. Um, and after you start realizing that, hey, I don't need a cathedral here. I need the simplest possible solution to solve this problem. So aiming for simplicity always pay off, pays off. That's my, my learning from my career. Maybe I'm wrong, but every time I see something that is uh, complicated in the sake of generalization, I try to, to think about, I need this generalization. If, if I don't need it now, can I add it later and it's not going to be a huge pain? Can I architect this to make it generalizable later? Because if you start generalizing everything, you can end up with a monster that is not, is not maintainable. I love that. Dude, I've tried to teach this every single day for the last God <laughs> knows how many years. It's, and, and it's that experience of saying, you know what? Somebody else has to take this over because I don't want to work on this anymore, right? That that kind of put that into your entire, that design philosophy, which I try to teach. It's really hard. 
because people, it's so easy to fall into the trap that the software I'm writing is mine, right? And it has to be done a certain way and nobody else can touch it because they're not going to do it my way. Um, and then you're stuck. You're stuck there forever until you leave. And then the fruits of your labor get thrown away because nobody else can maintain it. Yeah, it's, it's, um, it's well, some people feel comfortable with that, but I, I really struggle with the idea of waiting, wasting two years of my life uh, and, and, and in, ending up uh, going through the toilet. So that's not something that I want to experience. So I think trying to make it maintainable is, is always great. It's beautiful. So you're there at this company then for two years. They didn't give you out equity or nothing like that since, I mean, it was a big risk. Yeah, yeah, we, we get some equity there. We get some uh, um, stocks um, since the beginning. So, yeah. But you let's, only let's stay read. two years. No, Why? I stayed I stay there six years. Uh, oh, I stayed, so six years. Yeah. So now it's like 2016, right? You started there about 10. Yeah, I started about 11 or something like that. and was until um, 17, 18. So something around that date. Um, yeah, I, I stay there for six years. Um, and yeah, well, um, also the company was was uh, changing also because the, the, the foundation of the company was the idea of we want to create our own projects uh, instead of working for third parties. And Eden Apps being a, a reality, uh, they we start working on a pro internal project that was called Taiga, that is a project management solution um, for agile projects. Um, and then uh, it we started another project that is called uh, Penpot, uh, that is a alternative to Figma. And actually the company now, it's focused only in internal projects in Penpot and Taiga. So they're no longer working for third parties. So what is what is amazing was the, the original intention of the of the company. Um, but yeah, I, I spent I, I left the company before we reached that point that we were only working for 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 themselves. You saw the writing on the wall or you just got bored? You were like time for me to start doing something new. Well, there's multiple reasons. Um, um, I left because I was looking for um, for new challenges, a more international environment, and to be fair, some extra money. So that's uh, always great. And I was thinking about the idea of working for an um, international company. Actually, was the case that was the case and i told that to my boss and say hey i going to i want to do this in around six months i'm going to keep working here uh, for the next six months and then i'm going to start applying for other companies um uh, during that time as uh, i start improving my english and all that stuff um, and then six months after i start applying to companies um and Actually, there was something that happens that was super cool. I started applying to companies. Some of them uh, replied, some of them don't. And was I was getting anxious about that. And some uh, some company gave me an offer. Um, my boss sent me, are you sure that you want to be at that company? I, I'm, if you are sure, it's okay. But if you are not sure, just don't accept it and wait. And I just 
trust my my previous boss and sometime later i get hired by marmos so i was super excited because we were users of marmos we loved marmos and i start actually i start contributing to marmos before and i get hired by an open source international company um yeah was was like the perfect you had a cool boss yeah yeah no I mean, you no, had no. a cool company culture to say hey i'm going to leave in six months this is what i want and they supported that I love that. That's the way it should be. The world is too small and we can all be helping each other. Yeah, he he's he's amazing. He's completely amazing. So that's that's no doubt about that. So So then you're you start working there in like 2018. Yes. Oh, yeah, right, cuz that's why it's six years. Okay. Has this company been everything you've wanted it to be? And I'm sure you've changed roles as you've gone through that over the last six years. Yeah, well, uh yes, it's no, okay, it's 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 just different because uh the company I I come from a very amazing company as you figure out. Um so the company culture was different, not necessarily a better or worse, was just different. And and that's that's it's it's a different sensation, and it depends on your personality. You can end up loving more the one or or, or another. So that's that's fine. Um, what I was looking for was challenges and an international environment with high profile engineers. I saw I totally got that. So was uh, Marmos have a very talented people in it. Um, Maramos have a very international uh, em environment because we have people from all over the world. Uh, we have people in Philippines, we have people in South America, North America, Europe, India, uh, Africa. So we have people all over the world. And that is something that I love because you can share culture with other people, talk about food from other countries and things like that. So that was that was really amazing. And I learned a lot because when I start using Go, when I start contributing to Matamos, but for sure I ramp up um, drastically when I start working eight hours a day for for Matamos in Go. So that is uh, that was great. Over the years, I've been learning and learning and learning and learning, and I keep having challenges inside the company. So that's that's all I need. <laughs> so. so how do you? When you first get there, though, uh, my guess is you're working in Python still, or as a as a Python job. So, talk to me about that transition to Go. Okay. Oh yeah, what was was interesting because I started playing with Go and contributing to Marot with Go, and I was like, the the Go language is something that I I love. One of the things that I love from Freni is kind of the similar sensation when I learned C. When I learned C, when you learn C and you read the C programming language book and all that stuff, you end up saying, okay, that's it, right? There's a lot of complexity in memory management and all that stuff, but the language itself is, is tiny, is, is simple. It's like, okay, that's it. There's nothing else. That, that's the language. And that sensation was what I had with, uh, with Go. So I was able to start being productive in less than a month. I... I'm going to stop you for a second. Why Why did Go end up on your radar? What was the project or the situation where it was like, okay, 
Here's first. I just go. I, I don't know this language, but it's now in my life. Yeah, my uh, in my previous company there was um, uh, a colleague that um, was uh, she was um, trying Go and learning Go, and I found that interesting. So I started trying it, and I start looking for a project to contribute because it's how I try to learn. So if you find a way to contribute to to a project, that's a, a, a great opportunity for learning. So I saw Matamos, I started contributing to Matamos, was a super welcoming experience that normally is not that common. And when you try to contribute to something, there's no, that uh, back and forth is not, that back and forth is not always as fluent as you would like. But with Matamos at that time was, was amazing. And I get that point of learning. So it was like, I start learning Go, I start contributing to Matamos and I want more. So I was was um, was um, a virtual uh, a virtue um, loop or a virtual spiral. So, the Marimos, can can you tell me what they do? Marimos is a is a communication platform similar to Slack. So that's the main uh, the main idea. We have how how do you spell that? Because how do you spell that? I'm trying to look it up. Like like what matters the most is matter most. Oh, matter most. Oh, I've heard of matter most. I keep, I kept hearing, uh, I kept hearing, my, my hearing's horrible. So, oh, oh my pronunciation is not great anyways. <laughs> matter most. Yeah, I've heard of matter most. Okay. Okay. So there's, there's a lot of Go behind this, oh, this yeah, platform yeah. then. The whole backend is writing in Go. And the whole, ah, uh, the whole cloud is writing in Go also. And it's all open source too then? It's it's an open core model. So we have uh, the open source part that is ninety eight percent of the code or something like that, and we have a two percent of the code that is enterprise only. Um, but the, I'm I'm a very open source uh, person, so uh, I feel comfortable with this model because the philosophy behind is basically if you have if you have a, a small team, uh, you shouldn't need anything in enterprise. Enterprises for uh, centralized authentication, for clustering, high availability, uh, all that kind of stuff. It's more in the enterprise uh, side. If you are, for example, a team of 20 people, you don't need enterprise. So that's the idea. You can use it for free. You can use it forever if you want. Um, our idea is the features are in that side because if you have 10,000 employees, you can pay the license. So if you don't pay the license having that, it's because you don't want, but you have the budget. And the idea is the people that have the budget pay for the party, basically, and every, everybody else. So were you using Mattermost? Were you using Mattermost instead of Slack at that company that you were at? Yes. Okay. And then you saw that there was a, the opportunity to contribute to some of the code base, but it was in Go. So that's when you started learning Go and started contributing. And then at some point you're looking for a job, they end up, how come you didn't apply there almost day one? You didn't feel you were good enough to work there? Not necessarily. Well, for sure, I, I wasn't good enough in Go back then. Uh, probably they hired me and I wasn't good enough in Go, <laughs> but, but well, I learned fast. So that's, that wasn't a problem, but the, um, 
But I think I start contributing because it was interesting for me and I want to exercise my go. And then I realized that they have an offer. Ah, uh, all right. You didn't, it's funny that it didn't pop into your head earlier, but whatever, you got there, right? You got there. What was, was like, perfect. For me, it was like open source. But what source. was your first job there? Was your first job working on some of the backend services in Go? What I in in Matamos we uh, back then we were all full stack engineers so we were doing everything we were developing features from from top to bottom uh, so that was uh, that was my work too so I took some features that were uh, that I don't remember even which uh, which feature were but um, but I take care of some features that were isolated and off to a star with and all that stuff. Is the UI written in Electron, like on Slack? Uh, yes, it's an Electron app. It's, it's, the UI is a web page, actually. It's a React application that we embed inside an Electron app. So, yeah. Ah, uh, okay. All right. All it's right. That's it's fair. what it is. It's not... It works. It's not the ideal, but it saves a lot of effort because if you have to build no, a desktop yeah. application, it's... You uh, need an app for these types of um, products because I don't like having browser tabs just open, but I don't mind having the app sitting there in the background. Not only that, there's a lot of things that you can do in an app that you can do in a web. For example, things like um, do not disturb detection, uh, things like that, that your system gets uh, locked or things like that, or the theming, something like the theming in the operating system, I can, oh, you are using that theme, so I'm going to apply to the, um, automatically to your, uh, to your application or things like that. There's a lot of um, things that you can do in an app and not in a web app. So how long ago, so you've been there six years, you're a staff engineer, which is not an easy position to get anywhere. Uh, it takes a lot of time and effort to become a staff anywhere. I, I'm, I'm curious though, when you, when was it that you decided, I want to start looking at the internals of Go? It wasn't day one there, obviously. It wasn't yesterday. It wasn't yesterday. So kind of talk about that. To, to explain that, I think I, I have to give you some background. Back, back in the university, I mentioned the Linux user group. I, went, I was there in the Linux user group, and we were, is where, where I, stored, I started um, uh, talking publicly because we have some um, courses, some talks every six months uh, organized by the Linux user group, and I did a lot of talks there. After that, uh, like in 2011, from 2011 to 2018, I was talking in conferences about Python, Django, all that stuff. And, um, and then I switched again, and I have to wait until I know enough to be able to give talks. But I always uh, like to give talks about things that I consider I want to, I want somebody to talk to me about. I would love that somebody talk me about the internals of the compiler and I don't need to do the talk. So, but nobody was doing that. So I had to do it. Um, also the first, the first thing that I started investigating was how the internal structures of, 
of go uh, of slices, maps, and channels work. Because what's interesting for me, and actually I did similar a similar uh, talk in EuroPython in 2018 or 16 or something like that, uh, where I explored the internals of the uh, built-in types of Python. And that was interesting. And I thought, okay, something like that will be interesting for Go. What will, what will be the equivalent? And for me, the equivalent was slices, map, and channels and how they work internally. Um, so I prepared that talk and I start doing more things related to that, exploring the compiler, exploring the runtime, uh, exploring how Go routines works internally, all that stuff. But that's um, that comes from that background of trying to trying to find in conferences what I would like to to find. And if I don't find it, I, I, I do it myself. And also I really like when I see conferences like GopherCon or something like that and somebody talk about specifically about the language. Because there's a lot of things about libraries, products or um, stories about success that is okay, that all that stuff is super valuable. But sometimes I miss uh, people talking about the specifics of the language. Have you ever seen the writing a compiler and go book by um, Thorsten? It's in it? my um, <laughs> Thorsten in my Ball. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's in my shelf. <laughs> so yeah, uh, no, it's a it's a great yeah, book. Yeah, it looks like a cool project. Yeah. Yeah, but the thing is, that's a it's a kind of toy compiler. It's it's going to teach you a lot about compilers and interpreters. But it's, it's, again, it's not a real thing. It's not, Go is the real thing. And that was, that's what was attracting for me. But, but I'm not saying that book is not great because it's great, actually, I read the book. So it's, it's amazing. Um, but it's different. It's, it's a completely different target. It's like, okay, but for example, I also read back then in the university, the book of the dragon. And it's not even related to that. It's like, okay, there's a ton of theory about compilers, but you don't know how a compiler works. There's somebody, I'm guessing it's Thorsten, it may not be. Yeah, I'm sure it was him. I think he's taken this com compiler to the next level. If you follow his Twitter feed, he's he's added SSA. He's added the, what is that, static single assignment support to it. He's... He's really, I think he's gone down a rabbit hole at some point <laughs> with this thing, which is, which is wild. Um, I'll have to look that up. Yeah, that, that's cool. So let me ask you a question. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. I, I think you should look at his Twitter feed because I think he, he took that to the next level, which is wild. Um, but Mike, here's, here's a question. So you've learned the internals of the compiler. You've learned the internals of the runtime. Do you have any sort of story where that knowledge, that specific knowledge of the internals um, helped you solve a problem that you were having? <laughs> I, 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 <laughs> that's, that's a good question. I always say in my talks that I love to give talks that are completely useless. And to be honest, the talk about the compiler and the talk about the runtime, it's not especially useful. There's a lot of things that I learned through the process that helped me in different things. For example, um, learning about AST 
helped me then to build uh, in, inside Maremos some uh, linters for certain policies that we want to apply to the code. And for that, we did GoBet, and GoBet is using AST. So it's something, there's things here and there that you can apply. Um, understanding how the slices works and how the slices grow, uh, it's something that you can apply to have better performance on or avoid some pitfalls that are there. So there's a lot of things that it's like um, background uh, knowledge. It's something that is there. Sometimes I'm 100% sure I applied some of that knowledge without knowing it, uh, without noticing it. And it's hard to tell if I'm applying what I learned from the compiler because there's a blurry space there. It's like I learn things from the compiler, maybe specific things sometimes, maybe more general things. And the more general things, I'm applying that because I learned it in the compiler or because the concept itself is useful. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a blurry line. I, I, it's hard to tell. I, I built a tool that reads the service project code and generates the documentation for the web API. And I had a horrific time with the AST package API where I need somebody to, I might want to have you look at this because I got it working. This is like draft. This is programming. I don't know how to take this programming I did and engineer it to something that's maintainable. Uh, and every time I look at it, my brain shuts down. So I think at GoForCon EU, I'm going to sit with you because I want to have a better understanding of how to really use the AST package instead of hacking it, hacking with it, which is what I did, and figure out how to do some engineering around that. Uh, I think that would be incredibly useful, at least for me. And then one day I decided I wanted to look at how the escape analysis, oh no, how inlining was either escape analysis or inlining worked. And bro, I after about 20 minutes, I just gave up. I gave up because I couldn't understand how they were gathering that point system. You know, if you score 80 or less, then we can inline. And I I spent 20 minutes. I said, nope, my brain, I'm done. Some of that code isn't easy to trace through. Yes. Now, the, 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 the compiler code is not the easiest code in the world. It's Go. That's a huge improvement because Go feels like home almost in every project. It's like, okay, or you feel like home and you're saying, oh, this is, this is Go writing in Java style or in Python style or something like that. That can happen also. But in general, if, if they are using a good practices in Go, you, are, you, are, you feel like in, at home in any Go project. The problem with Go, it's it's a complex project. It's a really complex project. Um, so, so yeah, finding out how that counting works, I, I haven't explored that. I know that there is a punctuation system, and if it's more than, I think it's eighty actually, then the number um, is more than eighty. It's it's going to be. It's not going to be in line. Is it less? It's going to be in line. That that's that's how it works. That's your next project. I think they rewrote a lot of that code anyway, since the last time I looked at it, but that's your next talk. Okay. <laughs> Walk me through how the compiler scores uh, a piece of code. Like that to me is interesting. And that can be practical 
because now when you're writing a function and you see that it's not inlining and you really need to, now you have a practical sort of guidebook on uh, how to get that thing, right? And there's some general things you can do that I talk about in class, but to have a real sort of guidebook would be, see that to me would be looking at mechanics to provide a practical sort of guidebook around it. Yeah, well, actually, what I'm preparing is is slightly different. <laughs> what I'm trying to prepare, I I, I haven't uh, done it yet. I want to prepare something around around uh, reflection and understanding how reflection works and how where, where that got, that data comes from. That it actually comes from the binary, and there's a section in the binary that is going to include all that information, and then reflection access to that information at runtime. Yeah, I, I, I need my inlining. I need my inlining first, man. Come on, move, move, my, move my inlining up to the top and break down the algorithm and break down the point system. Break that down. That's really practical. If you produced a, a practical guidebook on that, real like like rules or something on if you do these things, right? And this is why, because mechanically... I think something that can be more interesting is to have a, a similar to the allocations where it say you, hey, this line is creating one allocation, this line is creating whatever. Having something annotations aside the code that is saying, hey, this line here is adding X points, this line here is adding Y points, all, all that stuff will be will be pretty cool. Yeah, and you know they have the somebody already built the the sort of escape analysis plugin for VS code. I turn all that stuff off. I don't look at it. Uh, it's too much noise for me, but some people like it, right? So you can see, but that to me would be more interesting. And I think more practical when somebody's having a performance issue and it's like, because we could go after all the memory allocations and you should do that, right? Like that, that should be your first choice in terms of let's try to improve the performance. But once you've done that, now it's all CPU. And it could very well be a function that's in a tight loop that just isn't being being called. It's not being inlined, and and that could be a you know that's how you could solve that performance problem. But without a proper guidebook, you're sign of just guessing and running you know running the analysis to like the m the dash m switch again and looking and looking and. But no one's ever produced this document, by the way. Nobody's ever produced this. I, I, I'll take a look because I. I... In fact, it's an interesting topic. So, yeah, and actually, the about performance, the the cool thing about inlining and escape analysis is that, that they work in tandem. So, even even if you know better when something is in line, you can save some uh, escape variables there. So, sure, sure, sure. Just a function that returns a, a shares a value up the call stack. If that gets inlined, you you've gotten rid of both the function call and the allocation. Actually, I learned that from one right. of your courses, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Nice. All right. So you've been, you've been at Mattermost for six years. That seems to be your limit. So, <laughs> so uh, not to get anybody uh, worried at Mattermost, but um, so are, are you still like feeling like there's still a lot for you to do there? Like where does Hastings want to be in, in the next five years? Okay. Yes, I I'm totally I'm totally happy where I'm I'm uh, where I am now. So I'm not looking for a change because I don't need a change right now. Uh, I'm not saying no to anything. If some 
if if suddenly Rob Pikes comes and says, hey, come to work with my team, of course I'm going to say yes, but probably as any goal developer in the world. But other than that, I'm I'm super happy where I where I am. So I'm not I'm not going to say if there's a huge offer, super amazing situation or something super cool. Probably I will say yes. But other than that, and, and it's not going to happen because I'm not looking for that. So I'm not asking people, hey, offer me money or offer me a good job. I'm not asking, so nobody's going to come to me. Oh, I don't expect that happening. So, All right. Well, we're, we're basically out of time. This was amazing to catch up with you. Right? You know, I, I've, I, I've seen you giving talks before, and we've never actually talked. So this, is, uh, this was great. If anybody wants to reach out to you after listening to the show, what's what's the best? We'll put it in the show notes too. But what's the best way for people to reach out? Uh, well, probably the um, Twitter is is a very good approach because I don't receive too many messages through Twitter. So if you send me a message through Twitter, I'm going to uh, answer for sure. Uh, probably my email is easy to find. So. Yes, email is is another option, but it's more possible that I don't even see that because I see the the email I don't recognize it and I leave it to later and then is is behind a pile of emails and I don't read that. So probably Twitter is. So do you run you run Slack you run Slack on your computer so you can be part of the Gopher Slack community or matter most that's just like okay no, I I do, I do I do both <laughs> I'm I'm part of the Gopher Slack community so through a Slack uh, you can contact me too uh, if you are into Marmos and you are in the Marmos community server you, you can contact me also um, through there uh, but yeah that's yeah Slack also works. And we are not anti-slag in Mattermost. Slag is, is a great product. So we are not anti-slag. We provide other values and we we think we are we do a great job here. Uh, but Slack does great also. And if anybody wants to see you live, um, I got to get this show out like ASAP so I can say this. If anybody wants to see you live, then um, you're going to be in Athens go for kind of eu what is that february six seven eight something like that yes it's going to be eight it's going to be the talks day but it's going to be six to eight. Oh, and eight yeah so he's talking the second day uh yes but we'll get to see each see each other real soon too so that's awesome that's awesome so this is jesus and bill kennedy signing off to the on labs podcast and we hope to see everybody again real soon